If you'll go on a little bit of a journey with me, we're going to walk through the story of King Asa as dictated through Chronicles. He does have some pieces in, in, uh, in the Kings. Would you turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 14? While you're turning there, I'm going to give you some background on what's happening in this section. Does that sound good? You're alive, you're awake, you're around, you're spunky, sparky. I don't believe you. This is what's happening. I want you to know that King Asa of Judah, he is the, as it says up there, he's the son of King uh, Abijah. Now, he was a bad king. Asa was a good king for the most part. Uh, ruler of Judah, which is the southern Hebrew kingdom. Uh, this story starts around 910 BC and goes to about 870, okay? So that lets you understand a little bit of the time frame as well. If you're a history buff, then maybe that helps. But we were gonna, we're going to read his story, then examine the parallels of his life to our calling. This is the story of King Asa of Judah. You're in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. It's going to be on the screen as well if you need it. Hopefully it does look okay. Oh, it's not bad. All right, so this is chapter 14, verse 1 to 5, our first part here. And Abijah rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. Asa, his son, succeeded him as king, and his days, the country, was at peace for 10 years. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. He removed the foreign altars and, uh, and the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. The first thing I want you to understand, we're going to walk through how this all shapes out, is that King Asa decided when he became king that he was going to do reform. He wanted to reform. So king, he becomes king. His first move is examine the state of the kingdom. How are we doing? Let's check our vital signs. Let's look at the health of the people. And it was not good. It was bad. There was not healthiness, there was sin, there was destruction, there was a neglect for God Almighty. So what does he do? He breaks down, cuts down, and destroys all the, and I'm going to just call it junk. There is stuff in the kingdom that's not supposed to be there. It has no right and no place. So he takes all of that, quote-unquote, junk, the wrong stuff, and he then destroys it. And that is standing between him and his people. This is a clearance and all things must go. So why? Why get rid of all the junk? What is the point? Well, we see in the next portion of Scripture, again, we're just going to do a walkthrough here, is Second Chronicles 14.6, where he built up the fortified city and fortified the cities of Judah since the land was at peace. No one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. Listen, this country was not at rest before. They warred a lot, especially with their neighbor to the north, 
they warred with the other half of the Hebrew kingdom, Israel. And they were uh, pushed and persecuted, oppressed and everything by their kings for a long time before Asa. And this space of saying, let's get rid of all the junk. And what does God give? We read it, 10 years of peace. And in this peace, there is rest for once. No one's thinking someone's going to kick in my door and slaughter my family and take all of my farm and my things. No one is thinking all of this is happening. They finally feel that they can rest and be strengthened. It started with reform. It started with getting rid of all the other stuff and finding this peace. And what do they do with that peace? Well, 2 Corinthians 14, or Chronicles, sorry, 14, 7 to 8 says, Let us build up these towns, he said to Judah, and put walls around them with towers gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God, right? The 10 years of peace. We sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah equipped with large shields and spears and 280,000 from Benjamin armed with small shields, with bows. All these were brave fighting men. So when a time of peace finally comes upon them, they rest, they're not oppressed, they no longer live in a state of fear, as they said, battling them from all sides. But they take that time of rest, church, and they ready themselves. They prepare this isn't an army that sits around, that gets fat, that relaxes, that is ready to be conquered. They are people that take the time and space that God has allotted them where the enemy is at bay and they get ready because we know, church, the enemy does not rest and keep away long. So they're ready. They took the opportunity while the enemy was down. Judah's armies were well-rested and well-prepared for battle. Asa filled the gap left by the junk he removed from the nation with the tools needed to keep their army enemies away. That's a huge turnaround. That's a huge turnaround from a defeated, oppressed country, a kingdom lost and always at war, to a kingdom ready for any war that could strike up. So the army is ready and secure and trained. Now what? Well, we keep reading. So Zerah, the Cushite, marched out against them with an army of thousands upon thousands and 300 chariots. And he came as far as Merisha. Now here's the thing that's really cool about this. Asa went out to meet him and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephtha near Merisha. Then Asa called to the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. Say, rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. 
Verse 12, the Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. The Cushites fled. And Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. Such a great number of Cushites fell that they could not recover. They were crushed before the Lord and his forces. The men of Judah carried off a large amount of plunder. They destroyed all the villages around Gerar. They, or Gerar, for the terror of the Lord had fallen on them. They looted all these villages since there was much plunder there. They also attacked the camps and the herders and carried off droves of sheep and goats and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. The next thing they did after they were ready, they had their reform, they got rid of the junk, they rested well and prepared themselves, they were ready. The next word, because we like our words, is rebuke. They went against the enemy. See, the enemy saw that they were building up, that something good was happening in the nation, right? The Cushites didn't like that, so they started to, started to press them. They came forward and they said, hey, what's going on here? What are you guys doing? I see that you're feeling rested, looking good. You got all armored up. That's nice, but we still own you. We still know that we can take you. And those threats, that feeling. And Asa, the good king, says, it doesn't matter what they're saying. We prepared. We did the right thing. We got rid of the junk in our lives. We prepared ourselves. We are rested because God is a God of peace, and now we stand firm knowing that any attack of the enemy is going to fail. So he dedicated it all to God Almighty, and he won. Now, he didn't just win the battle. It's not like they were attacked and they survived. They fought, defeated, and pushed into their territory, taking their land. They succeeded far beyond what was ever expected. They were set to maybe survive, and they thrived greatly in that battle. So what comes from all of this? Understanding the story of Asa is more than just this moment that we see. We need to know more. So we're going to really start to round out the story by reading 2 Chronicles 15, 1-7. There's a man that comes to Asa. The Spirit of God came to Azariah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord and the God of Israel and, and sought him, and he, and he was found by them. Verse 5. In those days, it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the lands were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another and one city by another because God was, not, uh, was troubling them with every kind of distress. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. Our next term, and the last our term for fun, is reward. There's a little bit of a story happening here. 
So this, this prophet who's speaking to Asa is going back in history and giving us a little bit of a context of there's a lot of bad history here, and you're not used to peace. It's good that you had this 10 years of peace and that you fought this battle and won. But remember, peace was not the norm in this land, and people are still getting used to it. Note that everything was very volatile and easily pushed and fallen away. You need to keep your eyes on the Lord. You need to dedicate every battle to him. You need to lean on him no matter how big your army gets, no matter how much rest you find. Never forget who gave you the blessing. Right? So there's a warning. You need to follow the path of reform, rest, ready, rebuke. This part of the story kind of gets a little confusing, especially in the second last verse, the sentence that says, God was troubling them with every kind of distress. Um, I was reading a book by Russ Ramsey. who go, It's called The Advent of the Lamb of God, and he talks about a lot of what happened in the Old Testament. The one thing that he makes clear that I think we need to understand is the writers only know one great power, truly, and that is God Almighty. And when there's distress and trouble after they've rejected God completely, they can only assume that such great power of destruction that has fallen upon them must be from God. But we do understand that the writers don't realize that what's going on in the space around them is that they've rejected their hand of peace. They've rejected their blessing. They have defiled the king of their hearts and instead are in despair. They're in a place that is desolate and scared. Their hurt does not come from God as a punishment to say, see what it's like without me. Their hurt comes from a broken world, which we still reside in today because they've abandoned the hand of the Lord over their lives. I know that you know this, that the rain falls on the righteous and unrighteous and that all of these things can happen to any one of us. Many of us in this room are going through some pretty hard things. It's, it's not you. You're not evil. You're not wrong. It's not God trying to punish you. I've said this earlier today. God can make all things good. That seems unfathomable, but God is unfathomable. Amen? Amen. He can do great things through pain that we've never understood before. And I want you to understand that what we face and what we go through, we need to just rely on a God that knows there's a broken world here. Don't worry, he's preparing a new one. Amen? And in that beautiful place, sin, death, sorrow is just gone. And it's not gone because of hard work. It's gone because of presence. The fact that God is there and that we're with him just disperses all darkness. That's the God we serve. This is a reward we seek, and we can have a taste of that here on earth, amen? That taste is the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. That taste is when we pray we see something happen. That taste is the glory of God and the presence of Him here moving in our midst. And that's something to get excited about. So, the hurt's not caused by God directly, but indirectly by refusing the healing hand, and we're going to see that soon with King Asa. Let me cap off his story, King Asa's story. See, 2 Chronicles 15 has Asa actually go through the entire kingdom and do it all again. He reformed. 
He did all of this. He won a great battle, something of note. They wrote it down in two different books. And then he's back. He looks, and there's Asherah poles around. There is sin around. There are high places and stones and all of this. And he starts breaking it again. He starts destroying all the things that are causing sin in the nation of Judah. And he starts declaring that Jesus, well, God is king. Didn't know Jesus at the time. That God is king of that place. Even his grandmother, this is the queen mother, as they would call her, she had sinful altars, and she was taken down too. Because he was not afraid to stand up for what was right and to remove all the junk in the lives. So much so that after he cleared and reformed and pulled all this away that second time, the chapter ends with a huge sacrifice to God. If you've been studying with Pastor Brent and understand some of the relation with uh, sacrifices and what a goat represents or what a sheep represents and all these different things, they have some significance. And maybe this will help. I'm not going to go into it all. But there are 700 head of cattle, 7,000 sheep and goats, all from their plunder that God has given them as a gift, they sacrifice unto the one true God. That nation is dedicated to righteousness, led by King Asa. And it's beautiful. And they rest for another 20 years. That's a big deal. They didn't have that kind of rest. That's a big deal. So what did they do with rest? They readied themselves. But Asa didn't ready himself this time. See, in chapter 16, something happens again. This time another enemy rises up against him. But it's not some foreign enemy that is against the nation of Hebrews that he knows, God, don't shame yourself by letting them conquer us. Like he said, let's take them on. Instead, it's the neighbor nation of the Hebrew nation of Israel. And they're plotting against them. They're not ruled well at this point. So Asa now has an internal problem to deal with. It's not external anymore. It's not kicking Satan's teeth in and smiting the enemy. It's a church family member is standing against you and you're now really uncomfortable. Getting close to home now? And there's this thing where Asa decides... I'm going to make allies. I'm going to take this other king near me. We're going to, I'm going to buy him off. And I'm going to say, stand with me. I know you're normally an ally with him, but look at all this gold and silver I'm handing you. And together they stand against Israel and win. They back down and all of this happens. And there's a victory there for the nation of Judah. But there's a brokenness there because nothing's dedicated to God. Everything was on the pride of the shoulders of King Asa, and he did it on his own, with his own terms, and in a kind of a tricky way. So what happens to King Asa? Well, if you know his story, he uh, not soon after actually gets uh, a disease in his feet. And as he has this disease in his feet, once again, God loves to remind us and help us in case we're really that dense. <laughs> Speaks to him and says, you're sick and you are ill and God wants you to know that this is a lesson for you that 
you've denied God working and giving you victory and tried to do it all on your own. You've tried to do things with your own pride and your own work. You heard me talk about Cain and Abel, one of the first big sins of the time after they ate of the fruit is the first murder. And Cain's all upset because he's super prideful. He gave an offering to God. Sweat of my brow, work, I did it myself, look. And God's like, I provide the sacrifice. I provide grace. Abel knew it, Cain didn't cause rage. So what happens here is we have the same problem. We have Asa very prideful and saying, no, I did what was right. Look at my kingdom. They are safe. They are at peace. That's me. I know what I'm doing. And his disease gets worse. He never seeks the healing hand of God. He denies that. Instead, he seeks physicians and others around him in the day looking for help from any and everything else but the one true God. The God that we know is so powerful to destroy large armies and give them great peace. A God that he dedicated his country to, even standing against his own grandmother for, and now ignoring completely. The disease caught up with him and he passed away young. That was his warning. There is a reward, but there is a warning not to lose sight of the giver of grace. So, I want to talk about Essex Gospel Community Church. And this is just a chunk of time that I think is the most important for us to dwell on. Maybe you saw the parallels, maybe you didn't. Reform. We've been sick and dying. We are in great need of healing, help, freedom in this church. Our body is aching. You know that church. I know you know that. And I believe that we are in a state of need that comes in fulfillment by practicing a beautiful spiritual discipline of being an overcomer. Do you know you're an overcomer? Do you know that that's spoken over you by Jesus Christ? That he conquered sin and death on the cross? And that that gift is freely for you? And don't worry, this is a message for, yes, salvation, that you who maybe do not know who Jesus is and have not accepted that, you can have freedom from sin and death and these things that you feel, this unforgiveness, this guilt, this garbage, these things that we're going to call junk, you can remove that in your life and you can have freedom. But for those that have been saved for years and this is your home church, that this is your place, that you know God, you know this message, you don't need me to tell it to you. You need to be reminded today that you are an overcomer. That whatever you're facing and whatever's coming your way, God's not afraid of it at all. And if it shakes you, I get it, but stand firm in the word that God has promised and has shown that you are an overcomer. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to mankind. Rain falls on the righteous and unrighteous. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But you will, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. We are all ourselves. We are in the state of needing reform. There is something in every life in this seat that can be cut down, kicked out, that we're going to call junk, that can be replaced by the wonderful presence of the Lord. I know that. I'm not judging. I'm in the same boat. There's always something. And, you know, we read through with Asa, this Asherah poles, and there's all of this other junk. He cut it down and he threw it out. I want you to examine your heart this morning. 
and just say, God, what is it? There's something in there. What's the speck that doesn't make it pure? What's something I can kick out of my life because I need reform? This is the spirit of an overcomer, church. We self-examine. We get ready. No judgment. No shame. There's no guilt in this. God came to set the captives free. We are captive. We know that. But freedom's in the Lord, so we seek Him. This is the spirit of the overcomer. So reform, church. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. See, God's grace is there to help us in this process. You're not going at it alone. God's going to illuminate it. Trust me, He's good at that. He's going to show you what it is. And He's going to help you get rid of it. He's going to help you get rid of it. You don't got to cut down that pole, break those altars on your own. He is strong and mighty to rip it away from your life and fill the gap with wholesomeness, with that love that you've been aching for. He can do it, church. Trust in him. James 1, 2 to 3, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Being an overcomer can be a great occasion for growth. A great occasion for growth. People that I talk to that seem real, I know that sounds weird, but you know what I mean. They're authentic. There's something there. There's not that that oddness about them. There's just, they, they get life. They've probably been through some of the hardest things you ever did see. You grow when you go through the fire. You grow when you come out the other side, not smelling of smoke because that's God. He can refine you to a beautiful point. And it's not junk you have to hold on to. You're not even holding on to the process, the fire, the smoke. You're only holding on to the purity that the Lord God, Jesus Christ, in our lives wants for you. You are refined and changed. James 1, 12, 13. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. I want you to know your enemy. I really do. I want you to know your enemy. God is not the tempter. He is the provider of blessing. When we overcome the junk in our lives and kick down the barriers between us, then we are rewarded by our Heavenly Father. The warning was never to Asa that God's going to destroy you. The warning was, don't leave the presence of our Lord because that's where you're safe. He is our refuge. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That we are people who know that we can have that refuge in that place. I pray that when you, when you seek the Lord in your time of prayer and devotion, that you just rest in Him. We talked about reform. Let's talk about rest. Let's talk about being people that need peace again, church. We really need peace again. I know that the stress levels are high, even in this building and I, with the church. I get it. I completely understand that leadership can carry on a lot of weight, a lot of decisions, a lot of meetings, a lot of things going on. We're in a gym, hard floor, hurts your feet, hurts your back. We're not really at rest. Everything you're sitting and looking at right now, I have to put away soon. <laughs> I know, I know. 
But rest comes after reform. Cut out the junk. And just seek the Lord to give you that peace. Peace shouldn't be fleeting. It shouldn't be something that we don't have. It's a gift from the Lord. It's actually part of his character. So just spend time with him. Peace comes when we spend time with the Lord. We're called to rest in him. It starts with reform and we find peace. So what do we do with that peace? Well, of course, church, we're going to ready ourselves. We're going to ready. We're going to prepare. We need to prepare ourselves for the battle that the enemy has brewing. We know the enemy has something brewing. It's what he does. We're not fools. It's better to do it from a place of rest to ready ourselves because if we're still in a place where we haven't reformed and there's still junk in our lives, that we are preoccupied with a problem that's in our midst and not ready for the one that's brewing. You catching me here? This is a pathway. And readying yourself means that you've reformed, means that you're finding rest, and in that place, you're getting ready. So what are we ready for? Well, we're ready for the fact that I know Satan wants our community and he wants our church. Well, he can't have it. Amen? Amen. He can't have this. Jesus Christ is the head of this church, and he's the one that dictates who gets what. And he's the one that has shed his blood for us. And he stands firm saying to Satan, with us, ready, armed at his back, full armor of God, saying, you can't have this. This is our family, and it's growing. So now that we're ready for that battle, this is what I love, rebuke. And if that's just cut out as a sound bite, that sounds bad. This is what I love. Like Asa, we will push the battle into enemy territory. We're going to break the chains of oppression, darkness, and brokenness in our community. There is a lot of lost people outside these walls. I know that you see them on a daily basis, but what if they were saved in here? What if they were saved in anywhere? What if they knew Jesus like you know Jesus? What if they were praying for you when you were in a dark place or had a hard time? What if they carried your burdens with you and helped you reform because they were a Christian that got saved and got ready and you worked together as the family of God that you're supposed to be? These don't have to be what ifs. We can go out into this world. We can have missional projects and plans and all those things, but ultimately, it's just you being Jesus in the community. So reform. Have your rest. Get ready. And when we work through whatever the enemy has brewing, we're going to push back the gates of Hades, and we're going to find ourselves winning the lost because that's the mission of Christ. Amen? Amen? Now, it doesn't sound so bad that I'm excited about rebuke. The darkness will be slain. I love, I love that when Jesus has the, the 70 return, go out praying and working with everyone, that he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. Your work so powerful in the community, casting out demons, healing people, praying, and people finding truth and redemption was so powerful that the enemy of this world was struck down and he's limping. That's the power. That's us working and doing what God's called us to. I'll move on. I'm getting excited. Reward. <laughs> Do I really need to elaborate on what blessing is? Reward. What does it look like when you are free from sin and death? When our loved ones are being healed by the grace of Jesus Christ. I don't think I need to elaborate on what reward is. And I'd love to see it here. 